Today's scripture is from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 in the New Testament. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yesterday, my husband was reading the newspaper from Winfield, Kansas. He was reading it online, of course, and it's something that he does occasionally to see what's up in his hometown. I wonder how many of you do that. I think my uncle, who's now in his late 70s, he still reads the paper frequently from Garden City, Kansas, a place where he hasn't lived since he was 18 years old. Anyway, Matt and I were talking about my sermon for today, and he said that in the obituaries in the Winfield paper, he saw one that started Daryl R. McInnes, 89 years old, received his angel wings on July 27, 2020. Now, I did not know Daryl R. McInnes. Matt did not know Daryl R. McInnes, nor did Matt's mother, nor did Matt's father. I have no idea what Daryl R. McInnes uh, was like, who he was, no idea. I would like to express my condolences to his family, especially his wife, his children. I know, we all know how hard it is to lose someone that you love, how difficult it is to know what to say, how to summarize their life in an obituary, how to say goodbye. So let's pray for a moment. Join me in praying for Daryl R. McInnes' family's healing and peace. I really do mean that. So much so that I'm not going to tell the McInnes family this, but I am going to tell you, Daryl did not receive his angel wings on July 27th. We're in our second week here of our series, Almost True, where we're taking a closer look at popular Christian-ish sayings and asking ourselves, do these really line up with our biblical faith? Last week, we dove into that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. And since we all have a lot more, perhaps, than we can handle these days, if you haven't yet, uh, if you didn't participate in worship last week, I just am going to encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. You can find it on the Facebook page, on the YouTube channel, and there's also a sermon podcast if you haven't discovered that yet. It is under the Watch Live tab on the website. If you scroll down, you'll see the podcast. You can even find it on iTunes um, uh, or anywhere that you get podcasts. Chance for you to catch up if you miss worship some week. God won't give you more than you can handle. That was last week. And that's a phrase that people use uh, to try and encourage folks in all kinds of situations with all kinds of suffering. This week, though, I want to talk about a phrase that has a much more particular context. And it's a context that is heavy with a lot of intensity and a lot of emotions. And that means, I think, that this phrase has even more potential to do harm. Perhaps it has the most potential to do harm out of all the phrases that we're going to talk about, all these almost true statements. And that phrase is, God needed another angel in heaven. 
When people say it, they mean it as a compliment. I understand that. They mean it to offer comfort. They mean it to offer hope. Their intentions are good. But unfortunately, in the end, I think the phrase almost always fails to accomplish any of those things that are intended. God needed another angel in heaven. It's the kind of thing you might overhear someone say in the receiving line at a funeral, or the kind of thing that someone might write on a Facebook wall at the announcement of a death. Unfortunately, it is most often used in our world in reference to the death of children, though as we see with the obituary in the Winfield Courier, talk of angels after death is not used for children exclusively. Well, why do people say it? I can think of two main motivations that people have. The first is they're trying to offer comfort to people when they use this platitude. They want to affirm that the person's life who has died, that their life is not actually over. They want to say that the, this person's loved one is now actually living with God. They're trying to reference heaven. And when we think of heaven, what do we think of? We think of angels. Angels live in heaven. The deceased person is going to heaven. So people mush those two together and say that when we go to heaven, we must become angels. So saying God needed another angel is a way to try to say, God cares about your loved one. God has embraced your child. They're going to live for eternity with God. And you can guess that I think those last three sentences are all pretty good things to try and say to someone when a loved one has died. Secondly, I think people say God needed another angel as a way to try and compliment the person who has died, especially when it's a child, especially when the death seems so senseless, when the loss seems so deep. People, they search for a way to try to say how special the person was to encourage those who are grieving. So to say, God needed another angel is a way to say, your loved one was so pure, so good, so special. Your loved one was an absolute treasure. God must have wanted them in heaven. God had work for them to do as an angel, and so they needed to go. You know, you only had the best of the best here in this person, in this child. And so when God needed another angel, God chose him or God chose her. Your loved one is with God. Your loved one was so special and so good. Those are good messages. And when I see that the good that people want to do with saying this phrase, that's, that's what I see. Those good messages. They are good messages, which is, again, why the phrase is almost true. It's almost true. But only almost true. And why? Because there's also a whole lot packed into that phrase that makes it not true at all. And it really makes it something we don't ever want to say to people that are grieving. The first big problem is that we don't become angels when we die. Now, I'm sorry if I'm really going to mess with your conception of heaven here today. But we just don't become angels when we die. There's simply no biblical reference for that anywhere at all. Now, of course, there are angels all over the place in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we find angels. They're very busy. They have a wide variety of functions. And I'm not going to go through everything that angels do in the scripture, but let's just look at a couple things. One key thing that they do, perhaps the most important thing that they do, is they praise God. There's a kind of angel called a seraphim. And that's an angel that was seen by the prophet Isaiah in a vision 
when he had this vision and was called to the prophecy. We find it in Isaiah chapter 6. The seraphim, he talks about, they have uh, all kinds of wings and they, they hang around God's throne and they worship God continually. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. So that's what the seraphim do. Then there are other angels called cherubim. And, and they seem to do tasks for God. For instance, they're the ones that God puts as guards at the entrance to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. So God sticks two cherubim there and a flaming sword to make sure Adam and Eve and nobody else cannot get back into the garden after they've been kicked out. Angels are also messengers. We see angels do all kinds of message giving for God. Sometimes they look like people. They are not people, but they look like people. For instance, three show up to tell Abraham that he's going to have a son, Isaac. And then there's an echo of that same story in the Gospel of Luke. You might remember the angel Gabriel shows up to tell Mary that she's going to have a baby that turns out to be Jesus. And then on the night of Jesus' birth, a whole bunch of angels come to share the message with the shepherds that a baby has been born in Bethlehem, and this is good news for all people. So this is a key thing that angels do. They deliver messages. Angels are very busy in the Bible. They're doing all kinds of stuff. But nowhere, anywhere in Scripture does it say that we become angels when we die. The Scripture tells us God made angels. Psalm 142 says, Praise him, all, all his angels. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Okay? So God made angels and God made us. But God made us out of the dust of the earth. Angels, they came from somewhere else. They are something else, different from us. Now, there's no set number of angels in the Bible. No scripture claims to tell us how many angels there are. There's a lot. But there's also no indication that they die or that they disappear somehow, like they need to be replenished. So they're spiritual beings, they hang out with God, and we can assume that they're eternal that they live in God's eternal time. And I think it's pretty fair to assume that since God made angels in the first place, if for some reason God runs short of angels, if God needs a few more angels, God can make more angels just like God made those first 10,000 angels. Okay? God doesn't need to take people from the earth and turn them in to angels. God isn't running low on angels. God does not need to restock the angel supply by somehow taking a few people, the best people on earth, especially not children. And this takes us to the second major problem with our phrase for the day, God needed another angel in heaven. And that's it. It just makes God sound mean. That somehow God needed this loved one, this child, more than we did. And so God was willing to cause all the grief and all the pain and all the tears from their death. I mean, didn't God think that we needed them here? I think that any grieving parent pretty much would say, I needed my child more than God did at the moment. Now, why do children die? I wish for all the world that I had an easy answer to that and I could offer it a satisfactory answer to any parent who has had to suffer that grief. But I don't have an easy answer. I do know and trust in a God who is love, who is mercy, 
who has compassion over all of God's children, and I cannot believe that God would be so cruel as to intentionally take a child from their parents. And I think that when we say something like, God needed another angel in heaven, it it doesn't offer any comfort to families in the midst of their hardest, hardest moment. So if we're not going to say that, if we are not going to say God needed another angel in heaven, what do we say? If we want to be aligned with the witness of the Bible, we can say something like, I wish with all my heart that your child was still in your house, but I take comfort knowing that she is in God's house. Jesus offers us this wonderful metaphor of a house with many rooms. It's in the Gospel of John. And he promises his disciples in the midst of his saying goodbye that he is going to be with God. That's where he's headed. And that he's going to come back and take us there to that same place. And meanwhile, until that happens, he's going to be there preparing a place for us. A house so big, it has room enough for everybody. For all of us. It's this ultimate image of God as Father. That God has a home so large that everybody's going to have a place to stay. And from that image of comfort and reassurance that Jesus offers us, I take it that God wants us to come to heaven as us. I read this passage and others about eternal life to say that God has a place for us, just like we are, human as we are, that Jesus came to save us as human beings, not so we could turn into something else. And I have hope that that God's going to perfect us in love when we get to that place of eternity. But there's no need nor any indication in Scripture that God's going to change us into angels in order for us to have a place to stay in God's eternal kingdom. Yes, God's going to welcome us. God's going to embrace us after our death. Same with our loved ones. We can be assured of that without saying that God's going to take them from us, that God's going to... that God needs them somehow more in heaven than we do here. Now, I'm aware that there are a lot of people in the world who think of their loved ones as angels after they die. And they like it because it gives them a way to say, this person is still close to me. Like they might say, Grandpa is looking out for me, watching over me as an angel. Or, I can still feel my mother near to me, helping me and guiding me just like she always did. And I understand the need for that. I understand how important it is to feel the nearness of our loved ones uh, who have died. I, I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of the spirit world or what God has in store for us after death, but I think we can affirm together the goodness and the nearness of our loved ones without saying that they turn into angels. Many years ago, I buried a man named Milt. He was in his 80s. He was the dearest of souls, and he and his wife, Mary, they were a unit. They were as close as a married couple gets. And a few weeks after his funeral, I was chatting with Mary in the narthex before worship, and I asked her how she was doing. And she said she was doing okay. Better than she thought she'd be, actually, because Milt had visited her. Oh? I said. She said, I haven't told anybody this, not even my children, because I don't want them to think that I'm crazy. But I was sitting out on my front porch in the evening, 
watching the sky turn dark, and all of a sudden, I knew he was there. I just felt him right there with me. He was so real, I could almost see him. Was it scary, I asked? She said it wasn't scary at all. It was only comforting. She, she was really short, and she looked up at me with these pleading eyes, and she said, do you think that's possible, Amy? Now, who was I to say or know what she had experienced on the porch that night? I told her I thought it was very possible, and I was glad that she felt comforted and that Milt was still so near to her. I don't have to know the mechanics of what happens in a moment like that to know that Milt's love was so present to Mary that she could feel his love as if he were right there with her. And I think that actually reveals to us something so powerful about the nature of love. The amazing thing is the love that we give one another, it doesn't disappear when we die. Love is everlasting. We are not everlasting, but love is That love that we give one another, it doesn't go anywhere. So can we feel like our loved ones are near to us after they die? Of course we can, and thank God for that. And we can say that and be grateful for that without saying that they were somehow transformed into angelic beings. They are still themselves. They are still themselves, and they go on loving us, and we go on loving them, and we look forward to that day when we can be reunited in the presence of God's glory. Now, my pastoral ask of you this morning is just, please, don't ever, don't ever say God needed another angel. One small caveat to that caution is, if you are talking with somebody who's very recently suffered a loss— and they start talking about angels, if they refer to their loved one as an angel in heaven, or even if they happen to say God must have needed another angel, just roll with it, okay? That's your job. Just roll with it. When people are in the midst of really deep grief, when they're at the deathbed of a loved one, or they're at someone's funeral, that is not the time to try to give them a theology lesson. However it is that they're making sense of the hard stuff of that moment, we just make space for it even if we disagree inside totally. No matter what they say, we can say back, I know how hard this is, I'm so sad with you, and we just leave that theological conversation to another time. All they need from us in that moment of intense grief is for us to say, I'm here and I'm heartbroken. And if you're not sure what to say to somebody, instead of saying God needed another angel, just try that. I'm here and I'm heartbroken. That's all someone needs. I want to suggest to you this week that you take a moment for spiritual reflection. Take a moment to get in touch with these promises of God's eternity that we've been given in the scriptures. What I want to suggest you do is that you choose a person that you have loved dearly whom you've lost to death. Maybe it's a parent, maybe a sibling, maybe a friend. Some of you have known this grief of burying your children Choose a person that you have lost to death and have a conversation with them or write a letter to them. I'd suggest the letter, but I know some of you won't do that, so you can just have a conversation if you want. Talk to them in your head or talk to them out loud or write a letter to them on paper. Tell them what you miss about them. Tell them what you love about them. Thank them for their love of you in the past and their love of you right now. 
Tell them how their love has made a difference in your life, how it has shaped you, and then say thanks to God for the permanence of love that lasts beyond the grave. In God's house, there are many rooms, one enough for each of us to find our eternal home. Thanks be to God. Amen.